0: Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Ben Robertson, and I'm the RUF campus minister over at William & Mary. And so if you're uh, family here in town for family weekend, I'd love to meet you afterwards. I'm really glad that you're here, Um, and it's my delight to be uh, a pastor to the campus. This morning, we're looking at Genesis chapter 32, starting verse 22, somewhat famous uh, story often referred to as Jacob's conversion story. Uh, To bring you up to speed on what's happening here, Jacob is at the ford of the Jabbok River. He has just left behind his father-in-law, who he had a very uh, complicated relationship, let's say. Lots of deceit going back and forth between the two of them. And he's returning back into the promised land to meet up with his brother, whom he also has a very complicated relationship, his twin Esau, who last time they were in the same place wanted to kill Jacob, which is why he left in the first place. And now he's coming back, and he's sending his family and his, all the wealth and cattle he has accrued ahead of him over the river, uh, offering gifts to his brother in the hopes that uh, he can appease him a little bit and not die. Um, and here we have this story, quite famous story, where God comes down and wrestles him. So Genesis chapter 32, starting at verse 22. The same night he, Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint. As he wrestled with him, then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would be with us, that you would make your name great. We pray that you would speak uh, by your spirit through your word, that you would transform us, that you would show us who it is that you have called us to be, that we might be more and more transformed into the ones that you have called us to be, that we might love our neighbors and love you as you've created us to do. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I love to watch uh, TV with my kids. One of our favorite shows to watch together is Breaking Bad. And um, I'm kidding. Uh, If you know what Breaking Bad is, you know you shouldn't watch it with kids. And it's not for everyone. It's definitely not for kids. And it's not for a lot of you. A lot of you would very much dislike it. Uh, But last year, I dressed up as the main character uh, for Halloween, Heisenberg. Uh, so I shaved down to the goatee, and I had the hat and the glasses, and I, I look a lot like him. It's kind of creepy. I wanted to put the hat and glasses on, but Don thought that would be pushing it too far uh, for the sermon. Um, so, but there's this critical point in the unfolding of the story of Breaking Bad, where Heisenberg, who is a drug lord, if you don't know the story, uh, is confronting another drug gang, and he's appearing publicly for the first time, and he says this famous line, Say my name. Because he's been building his little empire, and he wants to hear it. He wants to know that they know his name. But there's this tremendous irony to that famous line, say my name, because his name isn't Heisenberg. It's, that's the name he's created for himself. His real name is Walter White. Walter White, if you don't know the story, was this unassuming high school chemistry teacher, but he was in fact a genius. And he's diagnosed with cancer, but can't afford the treatments. And so because he can't afford the treatments, he decides to go cook crystal meth and make some money on the side to pay for his cancer treatments. He's just going to pay for cancer treatments and then get out. No one will get hurt. No one will know. And of course, things spiral out of control as he goes from being a guy who's just trying to cover his cancer to building this name Heisenberg, the drug lord. There's another great irony in that show as well, and that is Walter White's name. See, at the beginning of the show, his friend, Elliot Schwartz, who's a multi-billionaire pharmaceutical industry guy, offers to pay for his cancer treatment in the first place. But he refuses to take the money because his friend is the CEO of a company called Gray Matter, and his friend is Elliot Schwartz. Schwartz is German for black. Black and white makes Gray Matter. Walter was part of founding that company, but he sold out before they hit the big time. But Elliot kept the name and kept the ideas and kept the money up until then. Elliot had taken his name, so Walter White refused to take his charity because he knew how important a name is in a very twisted way. Breaking Bad is on to something about names. and something that's critical to understanding this story and this passage. We know this a little bit, too. We care about our names. If you think about it, your name is kind of the first gift your parents ever gave you. They tell us who we are connected to. We have a, typically, in our culture, we have a last name that tells us what family we belong to. You can hear someone's name, and you can probably guess what language they speak, where they come from, what culture is in their background. Can you imagine a world without names? What we would do? It's unthinkable. It's part of what makes us human beings. We have names. In the Garden of Eden, Adam's first job was to go around naming things. Alexander Schmemann, Eastern Eastern Orthodox theologian, writes this about names. Now in the Bible, a name is infinitely more than a means to distinguish one thing from another. A name reveals the very essence of a thing. Or rather, its essence As a gift of God. To name a thing is to manifest the meaning and value God gave it, to know it as coming from God, and to know its place and function within the cosmos created by God. To name a thing is to call out its essence, to show what it is in connection with the world that God made. And names in the Bible very often, not always, but very often point to the essence of a thing. And before sin enters the world, when Adam's going around naming, it's all good stuff. After the fall, sometimes a name points out an essence that we'd rather not have. Like we find here with Jacob. God is asking Jacob, "What is your name?" in the midst of the wrestling match. And of course God knows the answer to this question. God's not saying, So what should I call you before we go into this blessing thing? Whose name do I fill out on the form? He's saying, Jacob, who are you? Who are you really? What's your identity? Do you know yourself? Jacob's name literally means ankle grabber because when he was born with his twin brother Esau, he's holding on to his ankle. As they came out of the womb, even then trying to take the older brother's place. And as a figure of speech, a- ankle grabber means usurper, or supplanter, circumventer, or, in, a, in the most common sense, the deceiver, liar. It's basically like naming your son Little Weasel. <laughs> you know, Esau, Esau men, means the hairy one, <laughs> and then like we got hairy and, and Weasel Um, is the children of Isaac. Um, A person who is conniving and grabbing for power, manipulating to get his own way. And up to this point in the story, Jacob has every bit lived up to that name. He's manipulated Esau into giving away his birthright in exchange for a bowl of stew when his own brother is starving to death. He deceives his blind father on his deathbed into giving him his older brother's blessing. And now with his father-in-law, he's cheated him out of a bunch of cattle and it's finally come full circle when his father-in-law turns the table on him a little bit and tricks him into sticking around for a few more years. But it's not good. He's the deceiver. Now names in our culture don't always have that full sort of meaning. I mean, sometimes we'll consider what a name means when we pick it for our kids and other times it's just like, You know, Jennifer was very popular in the 70s, and we're going to go with Jennifer. You know, a lot of Jennifers. Um, We pick the names because we like the way that they sound, but in the full sense, what is your name? In the biblical sense, what labels define who you are that shape your identity? Fill in the blank. Think about your family that you grew up in. I'm the blank one in the family. Thanksgiving is coming. You ready? <laughs> what role do you play? Or with your friends? Or with your coworkers at school? I'm the smart one, the funny one, the athletic one, the cool one, the spiritual one, the fun one, the leader, the responsible one, the successful one. Well, of those are good. We take on good names, right? But sometimes it's not. I'm the nerdy one. I'm the awkward one, I'm the ugly one, I'm the pervert, I'm the broken one, I'm the invisible one, I'm the useless one. Some of these are good and accurate, some of them are awful, and sometimes they're names that we put on ourselves that don't actually fit, it's just this projection that we want people to think that's who we are, but we're deeply afraid deep down that's not actually the case and some of them are names that we were called. Some of us are living with names that we were given in middle school by a mean kid, and they still are carried around with us. These names, these labels, they shape our identity. There's are stories that we tell ourselves about who we are. I work with college students. College is always, almost always, a time of identity crisis. Why? Because you're leaving your family, typically, for the first time. And you had a role, and you had a person that you were then. But you come to college, and you say, well, who am I now? How do I fit in here? That's who I was in high school. That's who I was with my family. But what's my role here, this new place with these new people, this new lifestyle? A lot of times for people who grew up in the church, before I was the good Christian kid. But what will I be here, and how will I live that out? How will I embrace faith or not? Or I was in the top 5% in high school. That was everyone at William & Mary. 100% 100% were the top 5%, but now it's only 5% in the top 5%. And 95% are not. Who am I? Was I just playing a role? But it's not just college students. It's every stage of our life. We are constantly asking this. When you, if you are married, when you first got married, what does it mean for me, Ben, to be the husband? How do I figure that out? What does it mean to be a parent, if you're a parent? Stay-at-home moms, and then the kids go to school. I was mommy, and now I'm just mom. What does that look like? What do I do with myself? Or you're retired. For 40 years, the first question people always ask you is, what do you do? And you got to give them a name, an identity. But what about now? Who will I be? Who will I be as an empty nester? Who will I be after the divorce? What am I? And God wants the real answer from Jacob. Because he spent his whole life being Jacob, but avoiding facing it. When he meets his future wife, Rachel, at the well, she says, who, asks him who he is, and he avoids using his name. I'm a relative, the son of Rebecca. But he doesn't say his name. And when he goes to meet his blind father, he says... I am Esau. His name means liar, and he's even lied about that. So in this amazing story in Genesis 32, God takes on human form and literally wrestles with Jacob all night long. And even there, he won't give up his name. He's going to be the usurper. He's going to not just grab the ankle, but grab the whole body. He's going to fight. He's gonna claw, he's gonna be the supplanter until God finally pops his hip out of socket. Ever had a joint come out of socket? I jumped off the roof of a building once in college, and my my left shoulder popped out of socket for about two and a half seconds. It was excruciating, and it's the weirdest feeling if you've ever had it happen. So strange. I cannot even imagine the hip. He's out of socket, out of joint. And I think that's when he finally, in his own way, gives up. He's still clinging on, though. But God says, hey, the sun's coming up. Wrestling match is over. But Jacob says this. It's similar to his whole life up until now, but quite different. I won't let go until you bless me. His whole life, he's been trying to get his own blessing to acquire it for himself, to make his own name. And it's clear that Jacob understood who this man in the dark was. Because when Jacob asked him, hey, tell me your name, God responds, why are you asking my name? You know who I am. I'm holding firm to you. He knows it's God. And I can't let go until you are the one who blesses me, to which God responds, What is your name then? And finally, perhaps for the first time in his life, he's honest I am Jacob, I am the deceiver. He has come into grips with who he has been up until now, until God came down and rustled him to the floor. Are you wrestling with God? I mean, Jacob's story is unique, don't get me wrong, but all of us in some sense wrestle with him. Are you wrestling with him? Or even now, do you have your hip out of joint, feeling broken and not knowing what to cling to or where to seek that blessing because your way didn't work? You're trying to make a name for yourself. Can you answer the question? Do you know who you are? What is your name? This beautiful thing, though, about this passage, part of the good news is God doesn't leave him as Jacob. He gives him a new name. He gets him to confess the old name so he can give him a new one. His new name is Israel, which means wrestles with God. God. It says, for you have contended with God and man and have overcome. It's like you wrestled with me and it paid off for you. It worked by God's grace. And this new name is amazing because it acknowledges his old self and his old ways. But it reorients his character not on Jacob, but on Jacob's relationship with God. His name is about how he relates to God, clinging to him. His name tells the story of the night that he was broken and the morning that God blessed him. It tells about his rebellion, but also about his redemption, his death and his resurrection. This new name, his new identity, Jacob afterwards is changed. It says as he goes along, he walks with a limp. People can see it. Something happened last night. And so going forward, the nation of Israel, who would take on his name, they're saying, you know what, from now on we're not going to eat that part of the animal. The hip part with the sinew and whatnot, that's where God touched Jacob, so new rule, we're not going to eat that part anymore. It's sacred. It's different. It's special. They understood something amazing happened when his hip was out of socket. And of course, Israel wrestles with God, becomes the name for the whole nation, and we the church are the continuation of, of that nation believers today are merely a continuation because all of God's people wrestle with him all of us do together and as individuals and we all have to hold on to him alone for that blessing to give up blessing ourselves and making our own names but to take the name that he gives us so that we can be blessed by him so that we can be a blessing, which is exactly what God had promised to Jacob's grandfather when he was on his way from Haran into the promised land, just like Jacob is here. And so he limps into the promised land with this new name, blessed to be a blessing. And Jacob was far from perfect from here on out, but he does very much become a blessing to others. From him the whole nation of Israel would come and of course ultimately the Christ who didn't just come down temporarily for a wrestling match but put on human flesh permanently to be the one who was not struck in the hip but struck in the heel to die for us as was promised in Genesis 3. Jesus of course he liked to rename people too. Remember that? Or Simon Peter renames him the rock or Peter as we call him. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Jesus renames them Boanerges, which doesn't sound cool, but when you translate it Sons of Thunder, it sounds awesome, right? <laughs> I don't know why he called them that. But you, you, you're, you're the rock. You're Sons of Thunder. He's just nicknaming his guys. And I read that sometimes and I think, man, I want a cool nickname from Jesus. Like, it would be, be so cool. But we get new names, too. We get new names in the fullest sense, these new identities. We are the beloved in Romans 9. We are friends. Jesus calls us friends in John 15. In Hebrews, he calls us brothers and sisters, part of the family. First John, we're called children of God. New creation. Your name is new creation in Christ, says Paul in 2 Corinthians. All of these things, this new identity that we have in Christ, and you could read through the whole New Testament and find so many places where we are called these different things. They reshape our stories. They reshape who we are. Part of what it means to follow God is to then live out all of those names, what they mean and what they imply about who we are and what we are to do, that we are dearly loved friends of God, inheritors of his kingdom, children of the king living in his realm, free to dwell And to do his will, to live as he has created us to live with him and with each other. To be blessed, to be a blessing. Those are all names and identities that anyone whose faith is in Christ has and can claim as your own. But even more, your specific name, you, the real name that we call each other. God says that those names are written in heaven. Jesus talks about them being written in the book of life. The prophet Isaiah talks about those names being graven on his hands, etched into his hands, carved. But then even even more. The book of Revelation, chapter 2, remember the part with like the seven churches and there's these letters going out and talking about overcoming by faith and and persevering through persecution and all these things. Jesus says this. This is incredible. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, overcomes by faith. I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone. With a new name written on that stone. That no one knows except the one who receives it. It's this picture of entering into heaven. And Jesus taking these little white stones. And giving them to us. And it's got a name on it that's your new name that only you know. Isn't that incredible? That name in the full biblical sense that tells you who you really are, who you were created to be, that just you and he know. I want a cool nickname from Jesus. It's coming. We will all get one. And it's not going to tell us that it's something different than who we are, but it's who we are fully made to be. Seminary president and counselor Dan Allender says that our growth in this life is simply moving towards being whatever that name will one day be. That you and I are in the process of becoming who God originally created us to be and will one day make us. To take all those names that we have in Christ, the beloved, the chosen ones, the sons of God, the righteous. And not to become someone different, but to become who we truly are. To begin to learn our true names that one day we will know perfectly and fulfill with him for all eternity. Don't you want to know what that name is? I want to know mine. And in the meantime, I want to be taking all the names I do know and putting them on and growing towards whoever it is that he has made you and me to be. May it be so. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, the name above every name, the name to which every knee shall bow. And we praise you. We pray that you would take our names and make them jewels in your crown. Would we fulfill those names and live for your glory and your honor that the world may know that you are the one, that you are the Savior, that you are our King. Will you use us? Will you bless us to be a blessing as we seek to follow you? And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Please stand together and sing.